house. No, the right no, house. I did it. Get we want to talk to Marilyn Hack. I'm from Canada Water. When you meet somebody, do you say bonjour, monsieur, or just bonjour? What sort of a stupid question is that? This spring, two young Americans are learning about love. Parisian style. You're a beautiful young woman. We must decide if you will become my mistress. What do you mean, become your mistress? Didn't anyone ever tell you not to accept expensive gifts from men? It puts you in the position of having to do what he wants. Hello and welcome to the This Had Oscar Buzz podcast, the only podcast interested in hunting the most dangerous game, Nam. Every week on This Had Oscar Buzz, we'll be talking about a different movie that once upon a time had lofty Academy Award aspirations, but for some reason or another, it all went wrong. The Oscar hopes died, and we are here to perform the autopsy. I'm your host, Joe Reed. I'm here as always with my co-host and telltale Red Kelly bag, Chris File. Hello, Chris. Listen, I am the key accessory to all mistresses in France. <laughs> Literally the one piece of, of color in this entire rather bland movie, but we'll get to that. Um, And it's well, a rather bland bag. Yeah, I mean, yes, for something that like becomes such a, you know, huge deal, and we'll obviously get into it. Um, Not to be she-she snob or anything, but it did feel like the Target Birkin... A little bit, right? Like yeah. the knockoff Target Birkin. Yeah. No, that's <laughs> totally true. Um, we're kicking off something kind of fun, Chris. We are starting we are. our mini-series on the failed Oscar buzz of Naomi Watts. We do not want to pick on Naomi Watts. We want to make that sort of clear. This is not... Naomi um, Watts, good actress. Naomi Watts, good actress. Very much enjoy good her. Ha- always have. Very good actress. And... What I think is interesting is our last miniseries, which we did last May, where I guess this is now our thing, that we do a miniseries in May. Happy with it. Um, our last miniseries was on the films of 2003, and we are right back again. <laughs> 2003. We can't seem to escape it. Another film from 2003. One of, the, uh, one of the many Naomi Watts films that, as we went through the year, we blocked ourselves from doing. Because Maybe we should try to find a bridge to next year buried somewhere within the Naomi Watts movies we're talking about. Yeah, that's true. Um, but before our series, we did want to bring on some special guests, and one of them is here this week, a second-time <laughs> guest on this Had Oscar Buzz, previously here to discuss the lavish uh, Long Island slash Westchester. I can't remember where that party was, but... Wherever Marsha Gay Harden is is setting off a fireworks display, <laughs> we are here and we we welcome our guest. So welcome back to the show, Bobby Finger. Uh, hello, thanks for having me. Thank you for coming on. <laughs> I was just so, floating around like that Kelly bag until you caught me again. <laughs> oh yeah, God, floating <laughs> off of the Eiffel floating, Tower. Floating, 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 all floating. All of a sudden, all of a sudden, whimsy enters the picture. When uh... <laughs> it's like a reverse Forrest Gump feather. Of yes! course, the French. Forrest Gump feather is a handbag. Is a very <laughs> expensive handbag. Sky. 
Yeah, exactly. Uh, yes, just Hermes floating around everywhere. Uh, yeah, welcome back, Bobby. We had to, <laughs> uh, as we said, for the Meet Joe Black episode, where there was so much going on. I feel like, I think the 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 sort of sine curve of interest in like there's so much going on in Meet Joe Black and there's so little going on in La Divorce like honestly yeah. it's it's whiplash it's sort of cultural whiplash but so when we have our first time guests on we ask them to sort of talk about their Oscar origin story we've already been through that with you uh for our Naomi Watts miniseries though we wanted to ask what was the first Naomi Watts movie you remember watching or at least that you remember noticing Naomi Watts I think Think I mean I think I was thinking about this yesterday when I was looking through the outline and I I'm not sure which one I saw first but the first time that I really considered Naomi Watts was Mulholland Drive because I didn't understand I didn't see Mulholland Drive for I didn't see it in theaters I definitely saw it on DVD around the time that I saw The Ring so I'm not sure if I saw The Ring first or sure, Mulholland Drive sure. first but I mm-hmm. do remember knowing who Naomi Watts sort of was when Mulholland Drive came out and I didn't know what Mulholland Drive fully was about and I thought that they were both of the women were Naomi Watts I didn't oh, you know what I mean so yes. I was like I and Naomi Watts is not on the poster for Mulholland Drive it's um oh. who was who was the other who was who Laura, is she? Laura Herring. Yeah, it's they Laura Herring. Posters for both of them, but the Laura Herring one is the one that like when it's just stuck one of in them. The consciousness. Yeah, that was yeah. the DVD. Yeah, cover. that's like the overhead. The overhead is her, but then there's that dead on that's Naomi Watts on the phone, and I was like, right. why does she yes. look a little different in these two versions of the poster? So I feel like that's that's the first time I really took a second to think about Naomi Watts. But I think the first movie that I probably saw with her in it was The Ring. Well, it's, it's interesting about Mulholland Drive and what I think might have exacerbated that for you, I'm just sort of guessing, but there were a lot of reviews at the time that were like, you won't believe that Naomi Watts is playing one specifically, it might have even been Roger Ebert, but like, I did, I thought it was two different actresses playing um, the same part and I was so surprised. And what they meant was Naomi Watts before they go into the blue box and uh-huh. then after when she's the like broken down actress like rubbing one out on the couch or whatever and like <laughs> and they were like and that's what they were saying they were like I can't believe that it's two but I think a lot of people and I think you know you were probably not alone in that saw the movie and were expecting this like oh you know this two you know two women in the film who seem really dissimilar and I guess they're the, they're the same person and mm-hmm. that's not quite you know, obviously, like, Identity and Mulholland Drive sort of yeah. comes and goes. That's yeah. a movie I really, really loved at the time. I think, like you, I don't think I saw it in theater, but I think I saw it, like, the second it was on Identity? TV. Which, which oh, movie Mahal- did you No, see? Mulholland Drive. Oh, Mulholland <laughs> yeah. Drive. Okay. It's like, yeah. Identity? Identity is also... I saw Identity in, I saw identity in theaters. Yep. I saw it opening day. I think I did, too. I'm pretty she sure I did, the too. hotel. <laughs> 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 they all play the hotel. Um, and then, I guess, our follow-up question... Is when we when we mentioned to you that we were going to do uh, a Naomi Watts miniseries, I think we gave you sort of like a limited list of like which of these movies would you be interested in, and you mm-hmm. jumped at *The Divorce*. And I did. Well, the options Le- were the options were um, *The Divorce*, *Saint Vincent*, and *Diana*. And then you had oh, a couple okay. more. You had you said also that it might be *We Don't Live Here Anymore*, *The Painted Veil*, or *Funny Games*. And I'd seen those. 
but I yeah. haven't I hadn't seen at the time I hadn't seen Le Divorce, Saint Vincent or Diana and I was like I don't okay. want to watch Diana Saint Vincent doesn't seem fun <laughs> and I had heard and Le Divorce is just like a James Ivory movie where that also has Kate Hudson and Stalker Channing like set in yep. France that's sort of a rom-com I've been wanting to see it never took the time to see it 2003 great era nostalgic for 2003 why not and it was yeah. I jumped on it because I thought it was going to be the polar opposite of what it is, <laughs> basically. It should be a romp, right? It should yes. be cute and fun and funny and kind of, like, lovely. And it's just mm-hmm. sort of um, serious and heavy and dull and just, like, all these things I don't want. Like, I was I was thinking about this. this Because it sold itself as this comedy of manners. It says that mm-hmm. on the poster. It's a comedy of manners but in like modern times or whatever. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, A, could have used more comedy. And B, <laughs> I, I could sort of see this kind of story play out in sort of, you know, older, like maybe like Victorian era, Edwardian era, something like that, or whatever, like Jane Austen times, I guess, even just like where these sort of slight little um, scandals are kind of whispered about and talked about in different groups. And everybody is sort of, you know, Kate Hudson gets the job, like, whatever sorting things for glenn close whatever the hell she's doing (laughs) helping her with her hoarding boxes right basically i was like that seems like the kind of thing that you would do in you know an austin adaptation or you know an em forester thing or whatever yeah and i was like all of that probably would have played as more interesting maybe because i don't know just like there maybe there's like expectations in modern times when you have this thing and you set it you know, in modern times and Kate Hudson's a mistress and Naomi Watts's husband has left her and she's pregnant mm-hmm. and sort of flailing. And I'm like, all of these things have to, you need to like take it up to another level or something. Something yeah. else needs to happen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's also, it also felt uh, like if it's going to be a romp like this, it was almost a little too mature and non-judgmental. Like I wanted it to be more judgy because it's like Americans are this way and French people are this way. And yes, but it was very polite about it. And I was like, but both ways uh, have merits and both sides are good. I was like, okay, that's a very mature approach to this, but this is a movie. Pick a side and be mean about it. Like I, I didn't like that. It was so, um, I don't know, fair to both sides. You know, I, 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 it felt like it should have been angrier. It felt like it should have been more of a parody of these things. Like it was almost too, it was too, it was too realistic and people were i mean apart from you know when it got a little melodramatic at the end with the matthew modine stuff but apart from that the way that it treated everyone and the way that it sort of shone a light on these different sort of cultural um practices or like cultural attitudes towards relationships and divorce i was like this is this is like an essay this isn't a fun movie you know right I don't know. But because you brought up the Matthew Modine thing, which is this absolutely like crazy finale to the movie where he yes. like holds the entire tourist group at the Eiffel Tower hostage with a gun. Mm-hmm. In this like, you know, comedy of manners that's not really a comedy. All of the this movie does have some absolutely crazy things in it, including like this whole subplot about mistresses getting hand the same handbag. Like mm-hmm. those things would make so much more sense and not seem as crazy if this was more farcical and like people like you're saying, it's too polite about the, what it's satirizing. Mm-hmm. So like if you had even 
the like gross caricature of like the snooty French people and the ignorant Americans. Like if it was played to a yeah. higher temperature, those wouldn't seem so crazy. Yeah. Well, I almost I couldn't even kept expecting. Sorry, go ahead, Bobby. Well, I mean, I was just gonna say it almost it almost wasn't even a satire at that point because it it right. refused it refused to have any sort of teeth. Uh, it, like I, I it didn't really seem to be saying much of anything by the end of it. You know, I kept but expecting, anyway. like at the very least, like the Leslie Caron character and the Stalker Channing character to feel to bristle at not only each other because they really only have maybe like that one scene together, but sort of to bristle at each other's families, you know, and because mm-hmm. ultimately what this thing is, it, it's, you know, this dispute around not only the divorce, but the dividing up of the community property and there's this painting and they have to get it. God, all these scenes of getting that painting appraised. There's so many of them. <laughs> um, and ultimately, like, the whole the, the biggest dispute is sort of comes down to the fact that, like, French community property laws are really restrictive. And it's just like, okay, well, great. Mm-hmm. So, and I, I, it's so funny that this is all based on a novel because I can't imagine. Sometimes you can imagine things where it's just like, oh, yeah, I can see where the book would be a lot more interesting about X, yeah. Y, and Z. And this, I totally can't, I can't imagine reading a book that is so much about French community property laws and uh, appraising like this painting and all this stuff. I'm just like, I don't care and i and i i can't even i don't know it's i might look where the naomi watts sister and the kate hudson characters sister are having uh, these wildly disparate like character situations that they're going through where it's like kate hudson (laughs) doesn't really have much of anything and Naomi Watts goes through it like she's pregnant during a divorce she has a suicide attempt her husband is killed on her property and left in a dumpster yeah (laughs) also here's my question to you guys why is it why why is it important that they're half sisters why are they half sisters and not oh I thought the same thing it was so what did that do what did that enter into the story a little bit like it's all about you know the nuances of the French family and what they consider, um, I don't want to say authentic, but what the the French family is shown as saying what they will consider worthy or not. And it's like, to them, a half-sister might not be considered a sister, maybe? Where it's like, you get this kind of, imba- what we would see as like a you know, imbalance between the American family and it's perfectly fine and it's treated as normal, whereas it's the type of thing it makes you think the French family would look askance at it in a way. Mm-hmm. I don't know. It's yes, just and they don't. Don't suggestion <laughs> they don't really like, bring it up. No, they don't. Yeah. I guess it's too subtle, maybe, but I don't know. I kept expecting for when... when um, Sam Waterston and Stockard Channing and Thomas Lennon come to France. I expected to see more sort of friction within the family in that regard, whether, mm-hmm. you know, cause I don't know the way, the way Kate Hudson sort of mentions it at that early dinner party was like, well, we both inherited our father's whatever. And we had separate mothers. And I was just like, Oh, there's probably some family conflict in there. And then it's just not, it's just like, not at all. And it just it's seemed like, like a certain glossing over of things that can be fine there, but like it creates all this turmoil in France or something. I kind yeah. of wanted there to be a stated, very clear 
age difference between the sisters. Like, I kind of want right. Kate Hudson's sister to clearly be, like, 20 years old, just graduated right. from college, has nothing mm-hmm. going on in her life because it would make that character make any sense. Yeah. yeah. It would, at the very least, make that haircut make more sense within the story. She gets this, like, very severe bangs and a bob kind of a thing. Like and Barbara Streisand bangs bob thing, yeah. Yeah. And it, it gets immediately noticed, and then, but it's just like, I don't think anybody in the movie really sort of, like, appreciates just how insane this haircut is. And I think it would make more sense if you do, if you're right, if you play her as very much the younger sister trying to sort of fit into this French society yeah. where she doesn't really fit in. And the movie glances at that every once in a while but never really delves into it and i'm like that would make so much more sense if she's like you're right if she's 20 and she's trying to like put on airs or trying to be more sophisticated than she is or just or just trying everything because that's sort of the thing it's like that's what the movie is sort of suggesting in a way it's like she's young she likes the young bohemian guy she likes the older guy who's giving her a like a kelly bag she will take a job doing anything because she sort of has uh, both no skills and every skill you know like Glenn Close is like do you read a book you read books okay <laughs> you got it hired right whatever <laughs> you can read okay you you are now yeah I also I'm say... pretty sure whenever a, a universe it wasn't she preparing the papers to donate to some archive at a university or something like yes the university if that's of what Tulsa it was then yeah. I, not that I've ever done this but I'm pretty sure when a university agrees to take the papers it's their job to go through it and decide what they want and what they don't and how they want to organize it like why would they want Kate Hudson to do this like just give them the boxes of the papers and be on your way <laughs> absolutely agreed I will say <laughs> and I know that Chris is maybe not the audience for this but I'm just going to float this out there Glenn Close <laughs> by far is my favorite part of this movie yeah. Glenn Close is the best performance in this movie She's every time they come back to her, I'm just like, yes, this is where I've wanted to be. Yep. She's 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 knowing she can she does this thing where she's she's not I mean, she's judging Kate Hudson's character, but she's not being nasty about it. But you can tell she's just sort of like looking right through it because she has had this previous relationship. She's with, been uh, there. Yeah. Yeah. With the same guy that Kate Hudson is seeing. And um, she's every little thing where he, she just sort of like pulls him aside and she's just like, so you gave her the Kelly bag, huh? And like mm-hmm. signs his copy of her book with just like two Mr. Kelly bag or whatever. I was just like, man, mm-hmm. you've got this guy's number. How long has Hermes been making that bag? Apparently, that like my trash American <laughs> self was like, this bag is tacky. Um, <laughs> maybe it's just the leather she has in that bag. It just looks like a tacky patent. Um, I did like the note where he was just like, you know, you don't have to take that bag everywhere. <laughs> She's just like, <laughs> fuck you, man. It's my one cool thing. I'm taking it Which everywhere. is like the tacky American thing to do. Yeah. Um, yeah. Oh, I, I Googled this last night because I was wondering the same thing. I think I had the same thought as you, Chris, which was like, why isn't this a Birkin? And and I was like, this is so weird because I, yeah. I don't know anything about bags. But it was yeah. it was a very big deal in the middle of the century. I only I googled this yesterday because Grace Kelly wore it once, and that's why they called it the Kelly bag because she made it really popular, and it was like in the fifties, and so they've been making it at least since then. Yeah, they mentioned that Naomi Watts mentions that I think when she when Kate first gets it in the in the package, she says something about Grace Kelly. So I guess yeah. I took it up as like it was an imitation of whatever bag she was carrying, but I guess right. it's the same bag that they repurpose in uglier fabrics. <laughs> um, but I also like that it's this like big scarlet letter where it's just like Leslie Caron looks at it and she's just like whore 
Except Leslie Crowe, that's the other thing. The whole French family is just like, so you're dating our uncle. And it's just like, okay, everybody's just like, fine with it. It's... How many mistresses has he had that it's become this like iconic thing that all yeah. of his mistresses have this horror bag? I wanted them to pull back out at the end with the with the Eiffel Tower and instead of like f- sending this floating bag across all of France, um, which reminded me a little bit of the uh, the gun in Moulin Rouge when it gets kicked out of the theater. Remember, <laughs> and it just like goes tumbling over and over and then like dings off of the top of the Eiffel Tower. But anyway. <laughs> I wanted them to pull back at the Eiffel Tower and just have just be like red bags sort of on the arm of like every fourth woman or whatever. It's just like <laughs> this man's just been populating all of Paris with with these red Kelly bags. All right. Before we we're going to ask you, Bobby, in a second to give a 60 second plot description. As oh, we do okay. okay. On yep. the show. But before that, I'm going to run down the specifics of Le Divorce as we have been talking <laughs> about. Directed by James Ivory, of course, produced by Ismail Merchant, the famous Merchant Ivory Productions. This was sort of the kind of the end of the line for them in terms of their Oscar hot streak. I don't think they had anything after this. That White Countess. Made that. Right. But I don't, did the White Countess get... A nomination for uh, It was pushed for at least Natasha Richardson, but nothing It definitely was, sense. but I don't think anything came of it. Yeah. Um, directed by James Ivory, written by Ruth Prower, Jabala, and James Ivory, based on the novel by Diane Johnson, starring Naomi Watts, Kate Hudson, Glenn Close, Leslie Caron, Matthew Modine, Sam Waterston, Stalker Channing, Thomas Lennon, <laughs> B.B. Newworth, Stephen Fry, a whole bunch of French people. I'm not even going to bother subjecting you all to my terrible French. Um they're all French people. They're lovely and fine. <laughs> um, premiered in limited release on August 8th, 2003. Opening wide on August 29th. That probably should have been an early indication that this wasn't going to be the Oscar bait we wa- maybe wanted it to be. Opening it's weird in that they August. took it out of competition to Venice after the movie after had the already fact. opened. Yes. Considering yeah. it got That's bad weird. reviews. And that I wonder if it's just like they had promised... Uh, Merchant and Ivory that they were going to make a push at the European festivals but they were like but you didn't tell us when we could release the movie in America so <laughs> um, yeah um, I'm going to find my phone Bobby if you are ready we are going to put 60 seconds on the clock Ooh. and you can run down the plot of Le Divorce okay uh, are you ready I'm ready okay. All right, 60 <laughs> seconds on the clock now so Kate Hudson is an American who visits her pregnant sister, Naomi Watts. I'm just going to call them by their actor names in Paris for fun. Then the moment she gets there, Naomi Watts' French husband dumps her and runs out on her and her daughter so he can ha- be with the woman he's having an affair with, a French woman who's cheating on her American husband, Matthew Dean, with him. So Kate Hudson stays longer than expected. She gets a job archiving stuff for Glenn Close. She starts dating her like hunky young assistant, then starts having an affair with some older French guy who is... Related to Naomi Watts' husband in a way I never really figured out. And then Naomi Watts is like, I can't handle this. She attempts suicide, but survives. Then their parents, Dr. Channing and Sam Watterson, come to visit. Meanwhile, there's this whole custody battle over a prize painting that may or may not be authentic that, you know, B.B. Newworth is trying to get to the bottom of. Then Matthew Modine tries to... Oh, God. Matthew Modine kills his wife and Naomi's husband and tries to kill Kate and Naomi, but doesn't. Then Kate dumps the old guy, starts dating the young guy, and then Naomi marries a French divorce lawyer. Well done. One second to spare. Very good. You got it all in there and made it sound way more exciting than the movie <laughs> yes. ever. I, I could not believe. Factor on the Richter scale. When Naomi Watts goes to the hospital and there's this extremely 
tense dramatic scene where Kate walks in the apartment is like, hey girl, where are you? And then gasps at yes. this body. And then it just cuts to, you know, Stalker Channing and Sam Waterston at the airport being like, we're here. <laughs> like, <Yeah>. your daughter <laughs> tried just fine. to commit suicide. Yeah, there's no trauma evident kind of anywhere. Even like in the hospital afterwards. Yeah, Leon like let's discuss like the painting. Serene. She's just like she looks gorgeous. Her hair is her perfectly hair is done. manicured into perfection, and she's just like the baby's yeah. fine. Yeah. Here's my other thing about this: is the Matthew Modine character, who I know, I get it that like he's whatever, he's flipped a switch, he's totally on edge, whatever. I mm-hmm. don't get why he becomes so obsessed with harassing the sister of the ex or whatever the estranged wife of the man who is ha, uh, is carrying on an affair with yeah. his wife it's just like he has so nothing many degrees to, she, of separation removed i don't right get she it. has nothing to do with it like very this and and keeps coming back to like he harasses her in the bookstore or weirdly like flirts with her at the bookstore actually mm-hmm. um and then gets like taken out but then like obviously like first of all spots her and her mother who he's never seen before out of the window of a cab as they're passing the Eiffel Tower. And, like, mm-hmm. they've got, like, an umbrella. Like, I, I don't understand this whole thing where he's yeah. just, like, her. And, like, then sort of fixates on them. And, again, makes no sense that he's fixated on them. I get that he's just, like, yeah. he's sort of gone round the bend or whatever. But sheepers yeah. just, like, it makes very little sense. This, this I, you know. I, I think know. my biggest, if I had a, I mean, I have a lot of problems with this movie. But I think, uh, fundamentally, this now that I'm thinking about it, the biggest problem I have with the movie is the painting is the fact that they suddenly make this painting, this anchor of the plot and yes. the anchor of all these, uh, I don't know, the um, uh, machinations of everything and the yeah. uh, desires of everyone. When really it, the movie is not that great at displaying how rich the American family is. Cause it's like, we know how to signify right. like French wealth and European wealth and like very old right. money in this very French way. But it's like, I, it, it wasn't good at communicating whether or not they needed this money. And then by the end of it, they, in, they use the money to start some sort of fund, which is like, right. so you didn't need the money. So why did I care whether or not you got this extra $4 million if you're just going to use it for grants and stuff? Like, it right. it doesn't matter if you already are comfortable, you know? So why, are, why do we care about what happens to this painting if all of you are going to be fine regardless? Also, and I don't know whether you guys felt the same way, although there's knowing this maybe maybe possibly true. Did the fact that it was Stalker Channing in a movie about appraising <laughs> art with like your six degrees of separation switches and just like mm-hmm. kind of yep. A make you want to watch that movie instead. But B just like mm-hmm. sort of graft things onto her character that ultimately aren't there. It's Absolutely. Weird that the only people who really show up in this movie are Glenn Close, Stalker Channing, and BB Newworth. Yeah. Like I want to watch the BB Newworth art gallery movie. <laughs> Although again, you cast BB Newworth and then you give her a character who has no conflict or um sort of edge to her whatsoever. She's just like she's happy that she's found this painting and then in the end she's happy uh that she wins the auction. And it's just like, okay, mm-hmm. well that's great. But like, you know BB Newworth can like kick ass, right? Just like maybe let her do yeah, that. Yeah, she can she can shank Stephen Fry. <laughs> instead right, of like exactly. look at him askance across Christie's. They literally bring in three separate actors, her, Stephen Fry, and then the guy from the Louvre. Um, 
all to, at very different points, just, again, appraise this piece of art and try to give um, money to this family. And mm-hmm. it's just like, and listen, I am a gross capitalist pig with the worst of them, where when this family gets 4.5 million euros for this thing, I do generally get happy because I love to see people get money in movies. But even still, <laughs> you're right. It's just like the second that's over, it's just like... So what kind of a what kind of an ending is this? What victory is this exactly? And also, you mentioned the fund, the the, the uh, whatever the Saint Ursula, fund. the Ursula Saint like, Ursula fund, yeah. But it's just like, what does that mean? What are they going? What are, <laughs> I don't know what you're going to do. What was in Naomi Watts's life that she needed to rectify? Is this for single mothers? Because she's not a single mother by the end of the movie. She marries mm-hmm. the handsome lawyer or whatever. A lawyer. <laughs> A lawyer who at some point starts speaking perfect, unaccented English. And I was just like, wait a second. Are you French or are you not French? I don't understand. (laughs) Um, So much of this movie, I don't know, feels kind of slapped together. And again, I'm fine with slapped together if the results feel, even if it's messy, if it's fun messy, I'm into it. This movie just Mm -hmm. doesn't have any fun with its own concept. Doesn't have any fun with the fact that they're casting... Naomi Watts and Kate Hudson, who at the time were two very exciting actresses. Like Kate Hudson's yeah. only a few years removed from Almost Famous. Uh, Naomi is only a couple years removed from Mulholland Drive. And I remember that's why I was excited about this movie to begin with. I was just like, oh, cool. I like those two actresses. They mm-hmm. seem plausible as sisters. That sounds like really like, you know, I love a good movie. Bobby, you especially know how much I love a good movie about <laughs> sisters. And yep. Yep. this movie just doesn't invest itself in their in their relationship, it so quickly puts Kate on her own in this sort mm-hmm. of like romantic, whatever storyline that again, we don't care about. We have no investment in her relationship <laughs> with this older man who like is a fascist or something. Like I couldn't tell whether that was when people were watching him on TV or whatever. And they were like, he wants to bomb the middle East. And I was just like, okay, well, it's just like, <laughs> Jesus Christ. I don't know. I was it's the whole- thing that Bobby brought up earlier that it's like it's playing too nice with all of the discord between the French and the Americans. It's also like this movie doesn't know how farcical or funny to be. It doesn't know how dramatic to be. So it's like you have scenes of Naomi Watts opening her wrists and it's like, where, where is this coming from? Yeah. Um, but it does it with the characters, too, because it never gets all that invested in anybody or, like, finds interesting things about them. That's why I like Glenn Close in this, because, like, when you have a showboating actor, like, she can be, it's like, oh, finally there's some life if nobody else is doing anything. Yeah. It was a movie I kept thinking, like, the whole time I was watching, and I think it was something about the this particular time, the size of the cast, the sort of prestiginess of the cast, um, yeah. but also specifically because it was, you know, some Americans, a comedy of manners in 2003, some Americans, some French people. I was like, I wish this were a two and a half hour Robert Altman movie instead with the mm-hmm. same, I don't know, basic outline because I want more stuff to be going on. Like I want to see these people talking to each other more. Like I want to get more glimpses of the BB newer stuff. I want to see all these things happening. And, and for, for a movie that is almost, isn't it almost a full two hours? Yes. Mm-hmm. It's so dull. And every time you yeah. think like, okay, BB new, okay. Stalker Channing showed up is, has shown up. Like we're going to get some more stuff happening. It just never rises above, not even a simmer. And it's like, come on on there's so much potential here like let's get some let's get some i don't know like dynamic stuff happening here yeah 
So it's we're... also really not sexy at all. Like the French bohemian <laughs> guy that she sleeps with is super cute. Her French lawyer is super, or Naomi Watts's French lawyer is super cute. But like, sex is so transactional in this movie in a way that's yeah. not like part of the fun. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, don't know. I mean, this is a movie that like can take a scene of Kate Hudson lingerie shopping in Paris with like a language barrier and make it not fun like that's that should be you know and like a very funny romp kind of a scene and just like i don't know um we're obviously going to get into the naomi watts uh sort of careerness of it all in a second but i didn't want to pass up the opportunity to sort of delve quickly into kate hudson's career i know bobby you are would are you can i say you're a fan of kate hudson is that accurate or are you are yes you oh yeah i love kate hudson bystander? oh i love kate, I love hudson. kate hudson. yes i love 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 kate hudson this movie comes at a really interesting point in her career because so Almost Famous, which I didn't even realize until now I'm looking at her IMDb list, was her third movie, her third feature film, which is kind of crazy. She made um, a movie called Desert Blue that I remember hearing about but I never saw that also starred like Christina Ricci and Casey Affleck uh, in 1998. 1999, she was in 200 Cigarettes, which was the first thing I had ever seen her in. I remember being I love 200 very cigarettes. interested mm. in that movie. They're, everybody's in that one. Bobby, have you seen that movie? I have seen that movie. Yeah. Okay. That movie is really fun. She's kind of really fun in it. Who is she? Is she opposite Jay Moore in all her scenes where they're on like a date, right? This really bad yes, date. Yes, I believe so. And um, he's such a charisma vacuum, I always find. <laughs> that, like, But she really like carries that scene. Or I those forget scenes. if she ends up with him because the end of the movie, there's all these like yes hopscotching of bedfellows right people really have these chance meetings and all of a sudden they realize that like um courtney loves really good in that movie as i recall mm-hmm. christina ricci is really good she and gabby hoffman are these two gabby hoffman sort of yeah. like that movie. long island girls sort of looking for a fun party i enjoyed that um martha and- plimpton rules she's yes. hosting the new year's party and she thinks everybody's going to show up at like 7 p.m and of course no one's there so she spends the rest of the night thinking that she is some type of loser and she's just waiting for people and she's yeah more and more angry and drunk yeah <laughs> um and then almost famous is the very next year and i i like that's still such an important movie for me i really flipped for that movie i adored it then i adore it now and she was in line seemingly to win the academy award she'd won the golden globe she was this like classic ingenue story she's a legacy this whole thing and i think Everybody sort of like took it as a fait accompli. And I think there was, she had Frances McDormand also nominated in that category. So there was definitely like some splitting of the almost famous vote. I think there was also like an undercurrent of like, is she really that good or is she just like pretty? And then Oscar night arrives and who wins but our favorite from Misha Black, Marsha Gay Harden. <laughs> what a thrill. Who, what a thrill. What a thrill. Her, my favorite understatement of, uh, of anything at the Oscars. What a thrill, Marsha Gay Harden. Um, and then so all of a sudden now Kate Hudson's has the, like, the career boost of the Oscar without actually getting the Oscar, which I thought is interesting. Yeah. Um, and then after that, she has this sort of period where I think she's getting a lot of offers. And there was a lot of, you know, not a ton of anticipation, but there was some anticipation of, like, where does she go? And she comes out in 2002 with The Four Feathers, directed by Shekhar Kapoor, who was the director of Elizabeth, who was also coming off a big Oscar success. Uh, it's Kate Hudson, Heath Ledger, Wes Bentley, like, the most 2002 collection of, like, uh, sort of young, hot, up-and-coming talent. In I've never this, seen like, it. 
Oh my god, it's bad. We'll but eventually I think it's do a Four Feathers episode. One hundred percent. It's worth seeing. It's definitely you can tell it's based on a novel. This is sort of just like this sort of overwrought um, love triangle in the midst of the story about this deserter from the British forces in wherever the hell they were traipsing across the globe trying to colonize everything. Um, again, not a good movie, but like a very of its moment movie, and it bombs, and it's so. Uh, you know, Oscar hopes absolutely decimated. And then I think from there, it was just like, oh, okay. So now her next movie is How to Lose a Guy in 10 Days. And then it's like, okay, this is the Kate Hudson thing now. The Kate Hudson thing isn't going to be, I'm going to go chase an Oscar. The Kate Hudson thing is going to be, oh, I'm going to be in romantic comedies and try to make that sort of thing. And people really resented that. And so her career kind of, you know, took a turn from there. 2003, it's How to Lose a Guy in 10 Days. La Divorce, and Alex and Emma, which is really representative. I've never seen Alex and Emma. Have you guys? I haven't either, no. I have not. It just doesn't... I. <laughs> that's the movie... People the only hated thing I, it. It's a Rob Reiner that it's people a Rob Reiner hated. Movie. Her and Luke Wilson, the only thing I know about it is that she's got brown hair in that movie, and I just remember <laughs> being like... I'm just like, Kate Hudson and brown hair just seems wrong. I don't know. It seems like you're you're sort of, you know... It's not Kate Hudson. And I know that, like, that shouldn't matter as much, but whatever. She's such a quintessentially blonde actress to me. Absolutely. So, I don't know. We're, we, talk about talk about your feelings on Kate Hudson, Bobby, because I want to I want to I want to hear him. I think she's extremely funny. I like I don't I'm not even a fan. I love Almost Famous, obviously. I I I don't love How to Lose a Guy in 10 Days, but I love her in it, and I think it just makes it just it's such a good, I don't know, uh, display of her potential for being like the impossibly charming comedy lead, not even just romantic comedy lead. She's so cute. She's just the cutest actor. And I, I love when she's in something, even if I hate the movie. I think she's amazing in Something Borrowed. Something Borrowed is just, I think, great. Um, I wish those something sequels Borrowed came is out. a really underrated movie. That yes. is a movie that is... That has more to say about relationships than this. Yeah, that's a movie that purports to be a romantic comedy, but is more serious than you expect it to be, but in a good way. Like, that movie takes its characters' emotions um, really, really seriously. And it's Mm -hmm. funny that she's in that movie a couple years after Bride Wars, which does, like, all the worst things about the, like, impending marriage movie, about Mm -hmm. best friends sort of having conflict with a wedding on the way kind of a thing. And, like, Bride Wars does that all wrong, but Something Borrowed does it really, really right. And I think that when I think about Kate Hudson, it's like I... She's just, like you said, she's, you know, peak nepotism. She can do whatever she wants. (laughs) So, like, why not not act? She doesn't have to act. And, you know, I wish she were in more things, but if I were in her shoes, why would you be in more things if you didn't have to be? She has flabletics. Like, she's fine. She doesn't need to do this. She right. likes being home. She likes doing Instagram. Um, and uh, the other thing I'll say about Kate Hudson is I, I do not have many... I, I do not have many celebrity stories. I wish I had more celebrity stories. But the best celebrity story I have, and one that I am not likely to ever surpass, is that I met Kate Hudson once. I we were at the same like restaurant and i said hello i said hello to her i worked up the courage to say hi to her this was like i don't know eight years ago and she was so friendly and cool and oh that's nice fun and i was like you are amazing she was outside smoking a cigarette with her friend and i worked up the courage to say hello it was outside some bar and i yeah. worked up the courage to say hi i said i'm a big fan hello hello and she shook my hand she introduced me to her friend 
We had a few oh, words. Wow. She was like, laughed at something. And then I went back and she was like, thanks for saying hi. And I was like, I, even if I were, I was, I was already a fan of hers. And that just took her to the stratosphere. I, I love her. Oh, what a I wish she were in more things. And um, I don't know. I love Goldie Hawn so much. And one thing yeah. that really, I, now I'm just going to go off on a tangent. I hated Do Snatched. Do it. I hated Snatched. I don't think anyone liked Snatched. I never um, saw it because I didn't want to be awful. disappointed in a terrible, awful, combat. awful, beyond awful. And the whole time I was watching Snatched, I was like, why isn't this a movie about Goldie Hawn and Kate Hudson? Why is right. Amy Schumer in this? And why right. haven't Goldie Hawn and Kate Hudson made a movie where they're mother and daughter? Because right. can you imagine two more charismatic, like charming actors in Hollywood? No. Yeah. And I don't know. I my my. The main thing, ultimately, what I have to say about Kate Hudson is that I think she's great. I wish she were in more things, but I understand why she's not. And I treasure any opportunity to see her um, because she really, when you look at her INDB, like, it's just not as stacked as you kind of remember it being in a way. And it's filled Mm -hmm. with things that you've either never seen or never heard of. And it's like... Oh, that movie with oh, her right. and Gael Garcia Bernal that I always see on like a streaming site or whatever because it's just like her face and his face on a poster. And I'm like, well, there's two very attractive people, but I've never <laughs> been tempted to watch it like at all. And I don't know anybody who has. It's so weird. Yeah. And Mother's Day, I awful. I think it's funny that Kate Hudson is like the spitting image of her mother, has all of her personality. It's just mm-hmm. like you, they're, they vibe on such the same frequency. And then you have like Oliver Hudson who is just – an absolute void of yeah. any of that. And I was just like, how does genetics work this way? Like, how does it just like all get put onto Kate and just <laughs> Oliver is left with nothing? It's so funny to me. You mentioned Robert Altman earlier, and I'd be really interested to have seen what uh, Kate Hudson could have done in like a Robert Altman movie, because she feels like the type of performer that is right for something like an ensemble movie like that, where, yeah. She has this incredibly compelling, like, command of the screen. Like, I think of her first scene in uh, Almost Famous as, like, the definitive one where she's just basically explaining what the world of this is and, like, Mm -hmm. can make it seem incredibly appealing both towards her and whatever world she is selling you. I'm a journalist. I'm not, not a, you know. You're not a what? You're not a what? Not a groupie. Groupie? We are not groupies. This is Penny Lane, man. Show some respect. Groupies sleep with rock stars because they want to be near someone famous. We're here because of the music. We are Band-Aids. She used to run a school for Band-Aids. We don't have intercourse with these guys. We support the music. We inspire the music. We're here because of the music i think it is that romantic comedy thing that kind of dispelled some of that because that's not necessarily what was interesting about her but she was the truest like meg ryan successor yes but meg ryan had more movies yeah yeah. yes and maybe not less quantity of movies but like less movies or she had more movies that you remember that have stuck like really hard in the consciousness they managed, though, to cast Meg Ryan oppos- opposite a lot of actors who she played really well against. Obviously, Tom Hanks is the biggest one. But, like, mm-hmm. Billy Crystal is such, like, you wouldn't expect that necessarily. But, like, that was part of what made When Harry Met Sally so good 
And even in something like, what did I just watch recently? Oh, God, I just watched Kate and Leopold for the first time recently. And I was just like, this <laughs> movie stupid, is movie. dumb, but yeah. it's charming and fun. And she's just like, it made me miss Meg Ryan. And I think you, you see Kate Hudson's career and they cast her opposite McConaughey twice, which is funny because the first time I don't think I they're not bad chemistry wise but they're not great chemistry wise like i don't think it's just like ah yes returning to that great mcconaughey hudson charm well, or whatever it's kate's like. doing all the work there kate's propping him up right but they cast her opposite luke wilson who's just like i don't hate luke wilson but like he's very situational and doesn't you know isn't really a great romantic lead as far as i'm concerned they cast her opposite like matt dillon in um yumi and dupree and I guess Owen Wilson is always in it. Also in the two, but like she and Matt Dillon are the ones who are married in that movie, if I'm not mistaken, right? Oh, who yes. The yes. Who the hell's seen that movie? <laughs> but like now she's stuck playing like wives and like she what was she was in Marshall where she was yes. like. Yes, she was. Boy, the, really bizarre that she's playing that role. Okay, can I tell you, though, one of the, the most recent thing on her IMDb, her upcoming movie, says it's in post-production right now. It is a drama slash musical, as far as IMDb is concerned, details the story of a sober drug dealer and their disabled sister starring Kate Hudson, Hector Elizondo, and Maddie Ziegler, the little dancer. Guess who co-wrote and directed this movie? Oh, I looked this up last night. I'm not going to answer because yeah. I know. <laughs> It's the most insane thing. It's Sia. How, <laughs> no. No. How much, how much am I going to be the first person in line? I don't know how Sia I hadn't heard about it until last night. Sorry, Kate Hudson. Ooh. How are we, how is this not all it's that we're talking finished. about? It's finished. Like, it's practically My... finished. Yes. Well, it's literally called music. It is directed by Sia. You know my favorite thing in the world is movie with, movies with Sia songs in them. And Maddie Ziegler is the little dancer girl from the Chandelier video. Like, she's little baby Sia. Unreal. I cannot wait. If TIFF happens this year, this will absolutely be at TIFF. <laughs> it's so weird. I can't. Yeah. No, this is very much. Because obviously the first thing I think of is Vox Lux when I think of um, a Sia movie musical. But, like, the Ugh. fact that it's Kate Hudson in the lead, I, I, I'm flipping out. I'm flipping out. Kate Hudson yeah. would have been great as the lead in Vox Lux. Cast her in roles like that. <laughs> Did you know that Natalie Portman was supposed to be in La Divorce? Natalie Portman and Winona Ryder were supposed to be the sisters in La Divorce. Really? That makes total sense. But again, I wow. don't necessarily see that as like fixing the movie either. Like, no. I, don't, no. I think it would have just been those two adrift in a movie that didn't know how to be funny. Wild. All right. Let's... We can't get out of the Kate Hudson conversation without talking about Nine. I think she's great in Nine. Cinema Italiano. I've never seen Nine. I've never I seen Nine. I hope she shows up in Sia's music just doing Cinema Italiano again. <laughs> I love the black and white. I love the play of light. The way Contini puts his image through a prism. I feel my body chill. Gives me a special thrill. Each time I see that Guido neorealism. I love the dark and handsome guys with the skinny little ties just mod looking out of sight. I love to watch them as they cruise with their pony leather shoes wearing shades in the middle of the night. Whatever Guido does, it makes me smile. He is the essence of Italian style. Of the glamorous Latin world, only Guido can portray. Continuous cinema, Italiano. I love his cinema, Italiano.
Bobby, Nine isn't a good movie by any stretch, but I mm-hmm. will say if you're a Kate Hudson fan, you should at least just sort of maybe watch it until the first half hours and whatever after her big musical number. Well, she just no, has one Fergie. song, right? Yes, yes. Fergie's the best okay. thing about that movie, and I stand by that. But yeah, both of both of the best things about that movie are women with one musical number apiece, and you can stop <laughs> watching pretty much halfway through the movie because you won't get any more of them. Um, to right. my understanding, it's like hard to get a hold of that movie somehow. Really? That's interesting. Oh. Yeah, and I'm guessing it's because of Weinstein Co. availability sure. type of things, but sure, I've sure, been sure. told by people it's not the easiest movie to get your hands on if you don't have a physical copy. But yeah, seek yeah. that movie out, Bobby. Okay. So, because this is a Naomi Watts miniseries, we should really get into her. I think the thing about ta- talking about Naomi Watts in the context of Le Divorce is ultimately like this movie doesn't really do a whole lot to advance her career. Her 2003 Mm -mm. is an interesting year because that's the year she finally gets her Oscar nomination, which is for 21 Grams, which I think 21 Grams and her Oscar buzz for that did a lot to probably position La Divorce as an afterthought Mm -hmm. anyway, where if Uh somebody wanted to make a go of Naomi Watts as an Oscar nominee this year and really wanted to push La Divorce, they probably could have tried, but they didn't because she had 21 Grams coming up. 21 Grams Mm -hmm. is not a movie I love, but I'm happy that she got an Oscar nomination for it because I think she was so overdue from Mulholland Drive. I thought it was such a... Mm I guess I would say inexplicable snub for Mahal Drive, except it's explicable because they tried to do the thing where they tried to push her in supporting for a while, and it was like she's not the supporting actress; she's the lead actress of Mahal Drive. Right. It's so stupid. It's also the the thing about her Twenty One Grams nomination that's the first one that I think kind of marks her two Oscar nominations. Is she's never more than third place, right? Like she never right, right. really is a threat to win because this year opposite 21 grams and i guess low divorce is that it's diane keaton versus charlie's theron pretty much all season long charlie's theron's the one that's buzzed well far enough in advance that like that thing had momentum before people saw the movie mm-hmm. yes monster and then it's is what once people yeah. yeah monster and once people saw something's gotta give that gave Charlize Theron like her only competition. Her yeah. name was Eileen Wernos, not that thing, Chris. <laughs> <laughs> That's not what I meant. Get this thing back to Baltimore. Um, <laughs> yeah, 2003, which we obviously talked about in our 2003 episodes, but in terms of best actress, I remember there being a magazine cover around the time, I think it was EW, but I can't remember, where it was, I think it was Kidman, Jennifer Connelly and Naomi Watts. And those mm-hmm. I remember being the three front runners at the early, early, early part of that year um, for Best Actress. Because everybody assumed that Kidman would get nominated for Cold Mountain. We talked about that back then, about how that didn't happen. Jennifer Connelly was hugely, hugely uh, pushed for The House of Sand and Fog. She had been coming off of a supporting actress win a couple years before for A Beautiful Mind. And then of those three, Naomi Watts was the one who kind of like held on by the skin of her teeth. Uh, mm-hmm. And managed to like get that nomination, and but even still, I think it was viewed at the time of just like, well, like the backlash against Twenty One Grams wasn't enough to sweep her away. She and Benicio del Toro got nominated for that movie. Mm-hmm. But you're also talking about two other actresses that their co-stars and their male co-stars were also nominated before. 
And like Naomi Watts kind of smooth sailed into that third place because, again, we talked about this Best Actress race in our 2003 miniseries, but the other two nominees are Samantha Morton for In America, who, like, that movie had a returning surge but was not fully predicted to right. do well with Oscar in the last minute. And Keisha, right. Keisha, Keisha Castle Hughes for Whale Rider, who was campaigned in supporting. And that performance was loved enough that it got into Best Actress. So, like, this was a very, like, fluid, so to say, Best Actress lineup. Incredible. Yeah. Where do you come down on, the, on, the, on that Oscar year for Best Actress, Bobby? 2003? Yeah. Um, I mean, I'm... I mean, you know I'm going to say Diane Keaton. Yeah, that's not, that's yeah, I not think, the wrong answer. She's so good I, in that. I think yeah. she's great in that movie, and I and I would have completely supported that. And I, and and that's that's also the Nancy Myers movie that they all do, but that one that one grows in its ranking every single time I watch it more and more and more. Yeah, and as yeah. does her performance in it. There's a lot to it, and um, I I would have loved that. Yeah, it's it. Uh, Diane, and that's Diane Keaton's last oscar nomination which is you know too bad for a Mm -hmm. lot of reasons um she's so good in that movie and it's such a tonal difference from charlie's and monster who i think is wonderful and i think that's a fully deserved oscar win Mm -hmm. um but like the tone the tone of naomi in 21 grams is also this sort of like incredibly dark thing and her scenes are all this very kind of like emotionally fraught everything she's playing a grieving mother in that movie which and that movie kind of like plays sort of gotcha with the tragedy at the center of it that's the thing Mm -hmm. the whole thing is like you know scenes are presented out of chronological order that's the whole guillermo ariaga it's the gimmick yeah yeah and um ultimately you're sort of like but what happened what whatever and then ultimately it's just like yeah her kid died like mm-hmm. it's the most wrenching her husband and her kid i thought right right yeah like her yeah. whole family dies in a car wreck it's they're all incredibly dead yeah. harrowing and sean penn has her husband's heart is that what something oh yeah like that's that? what it is yeah. it's it there's a heart yeah. that there's a transactional heart thing i haven't seen it yes. since it was since like since <laughs> right. it was in theaters yeah right the but like that's but the way everything that you're saying about it just I think makes just supports my my Diane Keaton you know support because Monster yeah Naomi and Charlize are great in their respective movies that year but like there's the biopic with a lot of makeup and then there's the really really bleak Oscar Beatty yeah. in your Ritu yeah. movie like of course I prefer the comedy that's it's so much right. it's 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 atypical it's more exciting it's more fun and like if we've learned anything about the oscars in the past years now that no one's watching them anymore it's like we want to watch them for surprises for fun things so like i don't know i think it's also probably telling why i love samantha morton so much that year because that is it's still that still has a lot of heaviness you talk about you know family tragedy and like dead children and whatever but that movie plays very often on that kind of like bittersweet sort of uh wistful you know finding small yeah. moments of grace within like whatever and like that's my fucking bread and butter like exactly I love so much of what i love in, in america is about that um bringing it back to naomi for a second though i want to throw it because the one movie we didn't really linger on much is the ring because it's not an oscar buzz movie mm-hmm. i think she's freaking fantastic mm-hmm. in the ring 
Mm-hmm. I she love the ring. is a, an incredible horror actress, to be honest, because like Mulholland Drive, especially certain stretches of it, play like a fucking horror movie. Mm-hmm. Oh, absolutely. So it's like she can do these things. She can be like a, a, not quite a scream queen with what she's doing, but like she is absolutely a huge portion of the reason why the ring is so scary because yeah. of her performance i think she's she's great at that early skepticism like she has she has the skepticism down and the like scream queen stuff down like i you buy her as both things and she really does it's it's just a great it's a great horror movie for a lot of reasons but that journey that you know the protagonist journey of the horror movie of the horror movie it's sort of like the virginia madsen and Candyman going from skeptic yeah. to true believer is like is a is really great and i think there are a lot of similarities between those two performances actually and i actually i remember when there was all of the praise for the babadook at the time and that not only is it this great horror movie but it also tells the story of a woman's sort of like, you know, long-term postpartum depression. She's got this kid who she maybe, you know, doesn't want to have. And he's such a huge handful and she, Mm -hmm. you know, all this stuff. And I think that movie got a lot of credit for just like having a story about a woman in it. But like, and while that's true, I feel like The Ring maybe didn't get credit for maybe that same angle. There's so much in that movie that I love that involves Naomi Watts being like, how is this my child? I hate like, this kid. <laughs> yeah. Like, what the mm-hmm. actual fuck? And um, maybe if and, a, and also I forget I, that she's in that movie. And partly because that movie, when it came out, was wrapped up in like all of these horror movies from Asian cinema getting these US remakes and like that was the brand so it's like she you know she's not on the poster she's barely in the trailers for it but like she's in it basically every scene of that movie like Mm -hmm. making the movie work and like she still doesn't feel like got the credit for that movie because that's got to be one of her biggest money makers if not I mean, aside from King Kong, it's got to be like the one right right Mm -hmm. if I'm remembering correctly yeah that would make a lot of sense um, and also, can't we can't talk about the ring without talking about how excellent the trailer for the ring is? One of one of my favorite, you know, trailers from oh, that era. Uh huh. That was like very so, early so. on, and like going to apple.com/slash/trailers, you know, every day to see what what was new, <laughs> and watching <laughs> yeah. watching the ring over and over again because it was just. Did you ever so watch well the trailer on the ring's website? Uh, not that I can recall. So if you watch the version that they like thought was too scary to actually put in theaters or something. Me, I don't remember that specifically, but they, so you watch the trailer on the rings website and then once the trailer is done and it's sort of, and just like the file stops, Mm -hmm. uh, there's a, you hear a distant phone ringing sound on the site. Oh God. And I remember the very first time that that happened, I was just like, it like sent a shiver and I was just like, this is very, very good. This is very good marketing. Um, from the like sort of post Blair Witch era. Um, I wanted to mention this 2003 in the in uh, Fox Searchlights, you know, evolution because this is a Fox Searchlight movie, and they were still they hadn't quite had their big huge breakthrough. I, they had the full Monty, but I think that was so much you know attributable to its kind of Britishness. Um, <laughs> But in the 2000s, they had gotten a couple, they'd gotten an acting nomination for Ben Kingsley in Sexy Beast. They had gotten a Best Actor nomination for Jeffrey Rush in Quills. And so 2003, though, they seem to have, like, that's the year that 28 Days Later gets released in the States and it's a big, huge success and whatever. But in terms of their Oscar stuff, 
it seemed like they were setting up for any number of these kind of like american slash european sort of hybrids and you know see what sticks they had the good thief which was the neil jordan movie with nick nolte that i never saw but i remember some people really liked that they had that javier bardem movie the dancer upstairs that was directed by john malkovich which also i've never seen um javier bardem is naked in that movie worth seeing that's the only thing i remember about it um le divorce and then at the end of the year they had in america which i think they had decided basically was that was going to be their oscar play so they put their effort into that and as chris said that one had like early buzz and then it kind of got ignored and then it sat around for a year because it was at the tiff before yes that's right and then so all of a sudden it has that like very very late uh rebound where it gets the samantha morton and jaiman hansu mm-hmm. nominations and then they also had picked up 13 at i'm pretty sure sundance and that gets a nomination mm-hmm. for holly hunter um almost gets a nomination for evan rachel wood so le divorce sort of you know even with that year that's not like it's not a blockbuster year for, for fox searchlight but i think le divorce sort of falls into this kind of background of you know american euro kind of co-production that doesn't catch fire in the mm-hmm. states at all i th- a, a, a quick thing about 2003 i was texting my sister last night because for some reason even though i had never seen it until yesterday le divorce always reminds me of my sister because i worked at blockbuster in like 2005 ish my sister worked at blockbuster so earlier awesome. on um yeah. like 2001 to 2000 I'm going to say four when she was yeah. in college and like, like the summer after she graduated from college. Um, but I think this was like the, the season that Le Divorce was on DVD had just come out was like the tail end of her being a blockbuster. And yeah. I remember her telling a story about how she was sick of people coming in. Everyone said lay divorce because it was Austin. So it was like Texas yeah. accents. It's like, right, look right. at her lay divorce. And I knew this anecdote where she was like, oh, my God, the I, I, I can't stand hearing it pronounced wrong. Like, not that she's like a French person or ever took French. But she was like, it's driving me crazy. Everyone comes in and asks right. for lay divorce. And it became a joke between her and her coworker. Like, hey, y'all have lay divorce. And without <laughs> fail, I remember her saying everyone would return it and hate it. And so they no one liked lay divorce and that's something that i remembered about lay divorce and i was like well i've texted her last night i finally watched lay divorce and guess what it was bad and she was like i have i don't even remember i just remember thinking it sucked anyway the thing about 2003 <laughs> is that that era of blockbuster there was always one of those movies that she would recommend where it's like anytime she would make an honest recommendation people would come back and say they didn't like it and in yeah. this era 2003 she would always have to come up with a movie that was sort of broadly appealing that she could recommend that everyone liked. And around late divorce time, it was, guess the movie, Runaway Jury. And so she was like, <laughs> she was like, oh, anytime, she would just like, if anyone asked, I would just say Runaway Jury. And nine times out of 10, they'd come back and say, I love Runaway Jury. That <laughs> 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 um, Grisham is such when, a crowd pleaser. When I worked at Blockbuster, I remember a big one that I would recommend to everyone was Beauty Shop. And everyone loved Beauty Shop. Nice. Everyone Beauty loved Shop's Beauty so Shop. Good. Yeah. It's great. It is. It's a really good movie. And that's, anyway. and that's such, that was a movie that for so long got these sort of like notorious stamp about just being just like oh it's awful and it's you know it's dumb and it's a unnecessary spin-off and whatever and then i finally watched it and i was just like this movie's goddamn delightful like, it's really it's cute and it has a lot of magic mike double xl without strippers yes yeah and the like the the cast of that movie is 
pretty impressive. It's great. Bonkers. The women in that yeah. the women in that beauty shop are, uh, you know, a, like a force to be reckoned with. Um, it's a it's a lot of fun. I don't know, but um, sorry for that tangent. But late divorce is no, inextricably linked to runaway jury for me. Um, anyway, <laughs> wait. I want to now give the rundown on the cast in the beauty shop because it is. You're right. It's Queen Latifah. Um, mm-hmm. Alfre Woodard is in this movie. Mm-hmm. Alicia Silverstone, Andy McDowell, Mina Suvari, Della Reese, Keisha Knight Pulliam, Sherry Shepard, Cheryl Underwood from uh, The Talk. Yep. It's just, and it's again, they just sort of just like Octavia Spencer's in this movie, <laughs> credited yeah. as big customer. Okay. Oh yeah. Um, well, she has she has the line that she has the trailer line. I don't eat or drink anything I can't spell. And then the other beauty shop employee says, that must, what are you, a spelling bee champ? Or something like that. You want a cappuccino? I don't eat or drink nothing I can't spell. You must be like the spelling bee champ. <laughs> the, um, but it's like, but yeah, the oh the fact gosh. that Alfrey Woodard and Della Reese and Andy McDowell and uh, Laura Hayes is a comedian who's in, did you ever see the Queens of Comedy? Laura oh, Hayes sure, is a comedian yes. in that. She plays... Uh, Queen Latifah's mother-in-law like these are really really funny women in this movie and yeah you know Kevin Bacon is acting in this movie yes. doing a very yes. weird accent that is a joke until it suddenly isn't I don't know I I love beauty shop so he's the rival hairdresser he's right? the rival hairdresser yes oh my god amazing absolutely amazing um I did make a note of when I was uh, I watched the Le divorce trailer before we started and the tagline at the end of the trailer is and it's one of the probably one of the later voiceover trailer because at some point voiceover becomes obviously like not a thing anymore mm-hmm. it's just sounds too corny for everybody but this goes everything sounds sexier in french and it's just like i guess that was kind of the idea of le divorce was just like well sure like none of this is all too terribly interesting but it's in france Mm-hmm. And it's just like, yeah, but like there are limits to what just setting something in France does, especially when you don't mm-hmm. really like lean into it. Like I kept waiting for them in the trailer. They have all these sort of like beauty shots of like food on a plate or whatever. And I'm just like, yeah, if that's your thing, like yeah. really like jump into that. Show us how sort of enamored Kate Hudson's character is of this French setting. And I think this movie kind of tells us that she is, but I don't mm-hmm. know if we ever really feel it. You and also certainly the, not in a way that's fun to watch. Yeah, and it's sort of fun in that first, maybe if I'm being generous, fifteen minutes. Because I, I mean, we're all in quarantine, and those scenes <laughs> right. of her, you know, arriving in Paris and taking that first walk around Paris with Naomi, and then they go to that restaurant where they meet Glenn Close. Like it, yeah, it really made me hungry for yes, Paris. Like being in Paris. Like imagine traveling to Paris. How beautiful that would be. But just like being out and about like wow look at the world look how bustling and that just falls off a cliff in you know in 15 minutes it's no longer magical it's it's wild to me that they just kind of yeah. suck the beauty out of paris really quickly even though shots on the eiffel tower look weirdly staged and sound stagey and strange like yes. it, it loses authenticity really quickly and i'm not quite sure how you both yeah. you both on twitter this morning uh mentioned screenshotting the same image of Glenn Close in her mm-hmm. in her glasses and her college professor hair and <laughs> I think I don't know it's just like once again I know I mentioned that she's my favorite performance in this movie but I think that's the direction I wanted the movie to go and she has this one really kind of funny scene where she's um 
sort of making a toast at this fundraiser that she's got and sort of telling everybody to sort of just like empty your pocketbooks because you can always take the metro and she's like sort of like throwing out her french in this really kind of like aren't i so impressive um accent Mm -hmm. and i just uh, that's what i want out of this movie show me ridiculous americans living their french fantasy like that's and like fetishizing frenchness yes and like thinking that they blend in as glenn close does and she has she had especially in that scene where she says at the end like oh i see you're buying a scarf we're both buying a scarf for the same person for different reasons like she has that that judgy tone and i don't know the 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 subtext that the a lot of the characters just do not have and you're right like she would have been a more interesting i don't know like the the narrator of this if she were the one who were observing the entire thing and the story was seen through her eyes like if she were writing a book about this you know what i mean like there are ways to have framed her as the center of this story that could have been really cute and fun and maybe made a little more interesting like yeah. what a waste like, of that's actually a good two point, writers it feels wasted like the movie needs like yeah like it needs a curator of experience like it needs a point of view to filter it through because to bring it i guess around to the merchant ivory like discussion it feels like a failure of their aesthetic or like mm-hmm. their point of view because like obviously we know them for like em forster things remains yeah. of the day and this is contemporary but they're i th- it feels like they're trying to go for the same thing that it's like a class examination or a cultural examination that they never Mm -hmm. like get above a three and it needs to be at like eight (laughs) it just it it feels very very much like they're not as comfortable making these observations about class and society when it's in this contemporary setting and they don't just they just seem like they don't have a whole lot to say about it um but i do think bobby's suggestion of like basically a narrator function or a true protagonist function in this story could solve a lot of that mm-hmm. oh yeah well even like her like kate's like narration comes sort of back in full force at the end and i was just like okay but like where was this the whole time you know <laughs> yeah. really mm-hmm. all right we got to get bobby out of here soon so let's move on to the imdb <laughs> game which oh chris gosh. why don't we explain to our listeners once again what the imdb game is So every week we end our episodes with the IMDb game where we challenge each other with an actor or actress to try to guess the top four titles that IMDb says they are most known for. If any of those titles are television or voiceover work, we will mention that up front. After two wrong guesses, we get the remaining titles release years as a clue. If that is not enough, it just becomes a free-for-all of hints of handbags blowing in the breeze. (laughs) That's the IMDb game. Nice. Uh, Bobby, would you like to quiz Chris or me? Hmm, who do I want to quiz? I'll quiz Joe. Is that okay? okay? Yeah, and Fantastic. do you want to um, give give a clue first, guess first, or observe first? Get a clue. Okay. I'll guess yeah, I'll guess first. You'll guess first. Okay, so yeah, Chris, I'll guess first. you give sure. to Bobby. Bobby will then quiz me, and then I will quiz Chris. Okay. Alrighty, so I... How did I even this person out um <laughs> what was your path uh i'll i'll go with the the easier option then and i'll come back to that person otherwise um so i went down the merchant ivory route one of their most noted performers in multiple of their films is mr anthony hopkins for you i have anthony hopkins Ooh, okay um the science of the lambs silence of the lambs mm, 
something weird. Um, Hannibal. Yes, Hannibal. Okay, okay. <laughs> um, Two right guesses, Sons no wrong guesses. Hannibal. Is there something weird like? Is the two popes among them? Is it? No. No. Okay. Netflix uh, rarely will show up on here. There's also no okay. TV, so no Westworld. Okay. Hmm. Um. Something is it? Is it? Uh. Is it? Oh, could it be? Uh. Hearts in Atlantis. It is not Hearts in Atlantis. <sighs> okay. Um. God. What else could it be? Um. I, wait, can I ask for a hint? Uh, for, you could burn something, and you'll you get your year hints. I'll get a I'll get a year hint. Yeah. Uh, okay. Wait, what do I what do I wait how, what do I have to do? Uh, Sorry, I, just I, give me yeah, you can just forfeit an answer. Um, we'll we'll give it to you though. Uh, your years are two thousand five, two thousand and twelve. Oh, okay, okay, two thousand five. And it's not Hearts in Atlantis. <laughs> um. No, but it has um, the same kind of like doesn't really exist status. It, it has the same veneer of. Oh yeah. wait! Oh, I know what I can picture the poster for. To the um, um, uh, the the one where he's God, the one where he drives. It's uh, uh the world's fastest Indian. The world's fastest Indian. The world's fastest. Okay, Indian. I've I never seen that. You okay, got that. I am so okay. yes. proud of you. What was the other year? Uh, the other one, it is an Oscar nominee. He was campaigned for this movie and in the conversation for this movie, but like when the precursor started coming out, it ended up being his female co-star that was getting awards nominations for it. God, 2012. Oh my god, I don't remember what. Um, is he was in? He was a, a Noah. Person. <laughs> um, he's playing a famous person. Uh, he has the titular role as this famous person. Yeah, I'm. You almost certainly saw this movie, but you almost certainly have forgotten m- mostly about it. Okay, is my guess. Is my guess. God, I can't even remember this period of Anthony Hopkins. Um, ha- well, you may playing not a- recognize him in this movie because he's pl- he's playing a famous person in the. Uh, oh, uh, the- uh, Hitch. Hitchcock. Yes, Hitchcock. Hitchcock. Yeah. Okay. 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 I can. I have not seen that movie actually. Okay. <laughs> oh, interesting. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's not. not it's not. Great. Wait. Who plays? Who's the other person in Hitchcock? Helen Mirren. Helen Mirren plays. His oh, wife. it's about the wife. It's not about like a Grace Kelly thing. Because I, um, I recently watched Grace of Monaco for the first time. So there was a weird Hitchcock performance in that. Oh, and yeah. There was a lot of yeah, her saying, Hitch, oh, right? Hitch. So much of it is Naomi, uh, is Nicole Kidman being like, Hitch, oh, Hitch. There was that stretch of like a lot of, a lot of movies that had Hitchcock in it, either as a main character or as a, as a side character. God, HBO that is so... That did the world's... Yeah. Did the I have not I have not seen the world's fastest Indian, but didn't it kind of make a good amount of money? Wasn't it like uh, it, it was did. sort of like bucket listian, like a lot of you know, it was a it was a kind of a boomery movie. A lot of older people saw that movie. I think it had like a qualifying release. It might have been shortlisted for like sound or something crazy. Okay. Oh, fascinating. It like existed in an Oscar vernacular somehow but i don't think it was really a thing oh my god this poster (laughs) what even is that thing (laughs) is it a motorcycle 
It's a motorcycle. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Uh, okay. It's like a pod motorcycle. Yeah. Oh, the poster okay. says one of the year's best films from Jeffrey Lyons. Okay. From Jeffrey Lyons. Wow. wow. Oh, yeah. That was the other thing. As I looked at the Rotten Tomatoes uh, reviews for Le Divorce, of course, who is one of the few fresh ratings on Le Divorce? Rex Reed. Because reliably, of everybody course. else hates the thing. There's Rex Reed being like, nope, it's delightful. What did he say? A delightful blend of American sensibility and French chaos in a movie that is sunny, surprising, and consistently entertaining. He always sounds sure. like his character on The Critic. Did you ever watch The Critic, the, the uh, John Lovitz cartoon? Um, I watched it. I have um, no memory of The Critic. They always Just had the theme they, song. Rex Reed would always sort of like come on and sort of like blare his, you know, reviews for something or other. And he's, his actual quotes always sound exactly like that to me. Anyway, um, Bobby, why don't you now give me who you picked? <laughs> okay. I picked Stalker Channing. <gasps> yes. Okay. Is that, is that going to be, a, 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 is that okay? Oh, very much so. Okay. Because uh, when tele- I, when I looked television? at the, no television, all movies. Okay. All right, so no West Wing, no. Uh... It was my first. It was my first thought, and when I went to the IMDb, I was like, "It has to be this." <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. Okay, so Stalker Channing is Six Degrees of Separation one of them? Yes. Okay, is Grease one of them? Yes. Okay. Now those were the two I knew you would get immediately. Yes. Now it gets interesting. Okay, mm-hmm. is one of them? Um. Oh, I always call it the Walmart movie. Um, what is it called? Shit, Natalie Portman. It is the Wal- It baby. is the Walmart movie. It's the Walmart movie, right? It's. Um, I want to give it to you, but I also oh, want to see if you. Score. It's you not it. anywhere but here, but it's around that same time. It's. Oh, it's uh, nowhere near as good as anywhere but here. Oh. No, anywhere but here is wonderful. We did it's that, amazing. of course, uh, early on on this podcast. Um. Stalker Channing is Bill. Where the heart is. It's called Where the Heart Is. Sister Husband. There you go. Sister Husband, one of the wildest character names ever. It's called Where the Heart Is. Okay. So I thought you would I thought that's the one you wouldn't get, so I think you're gonna get them all. Okay. So Stalker Channing. I'm trying to think like their lead roles are hard to come by, so it's probably gonna be something like featured supporting. I don't think she's in Tu Wong Fu enough to to justify that being on, although she's wonderful mm-hmm. in Tu Wong Fu. She's great. Yeah, I'm Zapple. If we're going to be friends, there really is something I should tell you. Adam's apple? What? Adam's apple. Women don't have Adam's apples. Only men have Adam's apples. And the first night you came to town, I noticed that you had yourself an Adam's apple. Didn't, didn't you know? I know. But I'm very fortunate to have a lady friend who just happens to have an Adam's apple. Oh, is it um, Practical Magic? It's practical magic. You got them all. Yes! You got them all. Yes. Perfect score. Wow. Stalker Joe Channing got it all. Stalker Channing and Diane Weist as the baddie old ants in Practical Magic. One of my favorite, one of my favorite things. It's on cable all fun. the time. Oh, fun I love movie. that. I love that, movie. Bobby. Thank you very much. God, I love Stalker <laughs> Channing. All right. 
facts. So I am quizzing you. Yes. All right. All right, Chris, your turn. I have decided to also go the Merchant Ivory route. This uh, actress was the first actress to get a nomination for a Merchant Ivory movie, the first performer uh, to get a nomination for a Merchant Ivory movie in 1984's The Bostonians. This is, of course, Vanessa Redgrave. Ah, the Zionist hoodlums. (laughs) Exactly. Uh, We do love you, Vanessa Redgrave. No TV. No television. No voiceover. Okay, cool. Um... Julia, who she won for? Nope, not Julia. Gave that speech. Damn, she's so good in that movie. Um, yeah, she is. I mean, she's great in everything. Yeah. Uh, okay, I'll go with the different nomination and say Howard's End. Howard's End, which was nominated Howard's for Best End, Supporting Actor. The Great for. Merchant Ivory, Howard's End. Yep. Love that movie. I don't think the Bostonians is going to be in there. I'll just say no. Atonement. Atonement, yes. A triumph cool. of enduring hairstyles, atonement as older Bryony. I don't think Foxcatcher is going to be in there, where she plays basically the same role as uh, Great Grandma Thwombi from Knives Out. <laughs> ah, that's so true. <laughs> um, huh. I mean, there is evening. You've got is... you've gotten the two easy ones. The next two are some somewhat carnage. There's just a lot, and she's gonna be really hard because she's in a billion movies. She like, sure um, is. But she's always playing about the same level of role. Maybe I should guess something older. When she was like still doing leads. Hmm. I don't, I'm just going to say evening. Evening is wrong. So okay. that's two strikes. So now you get years. Your years are 2010 and 2011. So there goes that theory of older movies right out the window. I could not tell you which year it is, but is one of them Coriolanus? One of them is Coriolanus. That's the 2011. Yeah, we could talk about Coriolanus. Yeah. Um, my favorite right, movie so the... with uh, an anus in the title. <laughs> Le de anus. Um, <laughs> can we also talk about, because I never mentioned, it's Le Divorce, but the true like American cultural critique versus like French culture, like opposing them, is that IMDb yes. calls it The Divorce. I, I almost brought it up earlier. It annoys me so much that IMDb is like, The Divorce, and then it's like, La Divorce in France. It's like, no, the whole point of it... It was never advertised as The Divorce. No, the whole point of it is that it's a French title. God damn it, IMDb. The Divorce. Shut okay, up. uh, 2010. What was she doing? This was post-Nip Tuck, where she's getting yep. uh, fingered by Julian Julian McMahon. McMahon, absolutely. Playing her uh, mother to her real-life daughter, Julie Richardson. Yes. She was so good on Nip Tuck. She was. Um, Nasty. God, what the hell Nasty is this woman. movie? Um, it's definitely fully been forgotten. Um, but she plays a pretty integral role to the plot, even though she's not the lead. Okay. Um, it's a romantic comedy 
but like maybe light on the comedy. I don't think I've okay. ever seen it. It is not dissimilar to the vibe that La Divorce maybe wanted to go for, but maybe um, succeeds Oscar-y? at Oscar-y? No. No, okay. So this is probably like a spring, summer, light romantic drama. Yes, absolutely. Okay. You've defined it very well. I'm pretty sure directed by a director of a previous This Had Oscar Buzz movie, yes. That we did an episode on? Yes. Okay. This was his last movie that he directed. As in this person has passed or this... Okay. It's a real interesting filmography, which we did mention in this episode. Um, oh, um, it's Gary Winnick. It's Amanda yep. Seyfried. Yep. Uh, is Vanessa Redgrave the title role? Juliet. Uh, letters to Juliet. It is Letters to Juliet, and I'm pretty sure that you are right, that Vanessa Redgrave. Gary no, she's Winnick. Not- Weirdly, I'm looking at the cast list. I don't see any character named Juliet. So, like, maybe Juliet is referring to, like, Romeo and Juliet. Because the whole thing takes place in Verona, Italy. That's got to be what it is. Sure. Um, sure. But, yeah, Vanessa Redgrave is sort of the older woman who I think, like, sets, you know, Amanda Seyfried's character kind of on her way. I don't know. I've never really seen this movie. It's her and Gael Garcia Bernal as the I would totally the watch romance. that movie right now. I was going to say, is it? let me see, is it even anywhere? doesn't say god is it not available no wait it's on showtime if you uh if you have the showtime channels so that's fun perhaps i will for drag race all stars yeah oh yeah that's right good point all right so well done guessing the vanessa redgrave imdb game chris good start i would say good start to our naomi watts miniseries Anything we want to say to wrap up La Divorce and the current era <laughs> that we are discussing of Naomi Watts? Yeah, Bobby, think... why don't you go first? You're our guest. Um, yes. I think like, I think it's wonderfully representative of my feelings for both Naomi Watts and Kate Hudson, but mostly Kate Hudson, though this is the Naomi Watts miniseries. So much potential that is it's an extremely disappointing movie to watch because everything on paper seems like it should lead to something that may not be a romp, but is at least interesting and, and uh, worth watching. And it's just sort of a complete, yeah. a complete, and not even a dump. It's just so dull. It feels like a waste. It was, it's maybe one of the most disappointing categories of movies. It just feels like a huge, tremendous waste. We're, we're sort of not to, we're at the outset of our Naomi Watts miniseries. So I want to sort of allow us to maybe organically get there. But I think one mm-hmm. of the things about Naomi Watts and why we picked a miniseries for her is not just that she's been in so many movies that were initially pegged as Oscar possibilities, but mm-hmm. that as her career goes along, the choices just start to seem more and more frustrating. And I think if, you know, I wanted to sort of like walk us up to the door of what our next movie of hers is in the miniseries, which is going to be The Painted Veil. So in this sort of interim from La Divorce to The Painted Veil, it's stuff like something like, I mean, we talked about I Heart Huckabees, which we love, but it's like the assassination of Richard Nixon, which is her and Sean mm-hmm. Penn together again. It's We Don't Live Here Anymore, which like I have a weird little like soft spot for, but like that is an yeah. indie that didn't really go anywhere. 
although mm-hmm. perfectly cast. You've seen that movie, right, Bobby? Oh, yeah. I love We Don't Live Here Anymore. Yeah. Laura Dern is genuinely fantastic in that movie. Incredible. Um, but Naomi gets this sort of, like, she gets, like, maybe the least likable role. I don't know. Peter Krause is really unlikable in that movie. I don't know. <laughs> he is. Um, but then she's in that movie Stay with Ryan Gosling and... I can't remember who else is in it. The Mark Forster movie Stay After. It was the movie oh, I made seen after. That. Or the movie that was released after Finding Neverland. And then King Kong, which is Peter Jackson's follow-up to the Lord of the Rings movies. And I think a movie that gets more respect now and her performance gets more respect now. But at the time, felt like, you know, felt like a miss for her. Yeah. Which I should rewatch bad. that. Yeah, never really kind of entered that conversation at the level that I think we could discuss a lot more now. Yeah. And she probably deserved to for that performance. I think her choices after this era get maybe more and more um, sort of head scratchy, where it's just like, what are you doing, Naomi? Like, what in the world are you picking? And I think at least this era, you know, I mean, she maybe she just like really liked working with Sean Penn. You know what I mean? Maybe she just. <laughs> um, you know, and she's working with interesting directors in this area, at least. Obviously, David mm-hmm. O. Russell is one of them. Obviously, Peter Jackson is one of them. And Inuritu. Even James Ivory, too, because, like, James, it, it, we talked a little bit about how this is more of a modern movie, and we could probably save a lot of Merchant Ivory talk for when we do a Merchant Ivory movie, but, like, mm-hmm. that would not have been a bad, like, choice to make for a career to star in people uh, movies by people who have basically... It, like crafted the cliche of what is considered an Oscar buzz movie. Well, and they've mm-hmm. been had such a good track record for women, especially they got nominations for Vanessa Redgrave for Emma Thompson wins, obviously for Howard's end gets nominated again for the remains of the day. Joanne Woodward had gotten a nomination for Mr. And Mrs. Bridge. Um, Maggie Smith, right? Maggie Smith for a room with the view. So like the track record is definitely there. And I yeah. think sometimes the thing with Naomi Watts is she picks the you know the track record and then is sort of like she's on the next train after and that's the train <laughs> that like breaks down and sort of strands her oh, in the God. middle of nowhere. Yeah, where she's always just like one film too late, kind of, and it's you know, ugh, it's frustrating because she's genuinely a really great and engaging actress. Oh, one of the things I did want to mention just really quick, we all love her American accent, right? We all think that it's really yes, good. yeah. One of the better American accents on, you know, she's obviously, she plays Americans most often. Like, she's very, very rarely in her native uh, Australian. And I don't know. I just think, I I, I always buy her as an American. I think it's very easy to buy her. Oh, me too. Yeah. The only, I think the only time, there's, there's one... Oh no! You know what? No, that's that's. I was thinking of someone completely different. No, she's always good <laughs> as an American. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah wow! Right. Wow! Sorry, Naomi. I'm really sorry. I almost slandered you. <laughs> um, we do love Naomi, so I think in this mini series there will be plenty of opportunities for us to say yeah. sorry, Naomi. Yes, uh, Bobby. Oh. Thank you so much for being with us on this podcast. Thank what you for having me. This was back. fun. Thank you for you know finally getting. Kate. Thank you for finally getting. Litivorous off my to watch pile after you know <laughs> 17 years thank you i appreciate I it i always feel like that's one of the my sort of like minor goals of this podcast is like for me and then like for anybody else interesting uh, listening is 
you know, these are, you know, maybe movies you have thought about watching and never have. And this one definitely, um, I think we can all now be happy to check it off. Because it's like and they have Oscar buzz and you're like, oh, I'll get to it. Then they lose the Oscar buzz and you're like, yeah. no, <laughs> never mind. Yeah. Oh, I'll watch, I'll watch I don't, when they're an artifact. Yeah, I don't need to watch Evening. Um, <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, um, well, thanks, guys. And that's our episode if you want more this had oscar buzz you can check out the tumblr at this had oscar you should also follow our twitter account at had underscore oscar underscore buzz uh chris where can the listeners find you and your stuff i am on twitter at chris v file also on letterbox under the same name as chris v file not let chris v file just a regular <laughs> chris v file le chris yes i am on twitter as uh, joe reed at joe reed reed is spelled r-e-i-d i am also on letterboxd joe reed spelled the exact same way we would like to thank kyle cummings for his fantastic artwork and dave gonzalez and gavin nevius for their technical guidance please remember to rate and review us on apple podcasts google play stitcher or wherever else you get podcasts a five-star review in particular really helps us out with apple podcast visibility so take a minute and say bonjour monsieur with a review that is all for this week but we hope we'll be back next week for more buzz Everyone's a winner, baby, that's no lie, that's no lie, you never play.